Hey everybody, I'm John Gould. And I'm Nagin Muscati, and this is This Real Estate Life, the official podcast of the Baird and Warner Lincoln Park office. We have so many amazing real estate agents in our office, each with their own unique gifts and personalities, and we really just wanted to create a podcast where you can celebrate those individuals and learn a little bit about real estate along the way. Yeah, so whether you're a real estate agent yourself or just curious to learn more about what we do every day, this is the podcast for you. So thanks for joining us and we hope you love the journey. Woohoo! Welcome to This Real Estate Life, the official Baird Warner Lincoln Park podcast where we interview different agents and showcase their unique gifts and talents. Uh, today's guest is the one and only, the life and spirit of our office, John Irwin himself. Hey, John, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I love that intro, John G. With that's how I'm going to keep you guys straight today. Um, the life and spirit indeed. John Irwin, um, you are such a great, important part of our office. You bring so much knowledge to the table. Um, and that's something that your clients also see as well. You know, just reading through your countless testimonials, they all speak to your professionalism and your knowledge of the local market. Um, and that's one of the reasons we wanted to have you on today. You've truly become a local expert within your own neighborhood, and you're so focused on the data and put together these amazing market reports we're excited to hear about as well. Um, I don't know that I've ever seen so many awards on an agent's website, but between the Baird and Warner Founders Club Awards, the Chicago Association of Realtor Top Producer Awards, I mean, you have a proven track record of all of the success that you've earned and uh, well-deserved praise, certainly. So we are very excited to have an expert like you on our podcast today. Well, it's great to be here, and I'm, I'm actually um, here with David Bailey. Oh, good. So if you have any questions for him, he can either <laughs> say yes or no. Weren't you really good to know. Head? <laughs> well, first of all, John, we always love to hear how people got into real estate. It's interesting to learn of the different backgrounds everyone has. So okay. just to get started, could you tell us a little bit about how and why you got into real estate? Well, I, um, I had, my son was born when I was 51 years old. And I was um, in corporate sales and middle management, which means I was working, I was traveling every week. Yeah. And um, I was in a meeting in New York when my wife um, called me and said, my son took his first steps. And I said, you know what? I, I really don't want to watch him grow up on my cell phone. So I decided to look for another career and uh, it had to have a number of criteria. Number one, no travel. Number two, because I was in my mid-50s, um, it couldn't be age-restrictive. Um, I didn't want anything with compensation limitations. Um, I didn't want product um, restrictions. In other words, in, in my old businesses, if you had a lousy product, you still had to go out and sell it. Right. Um, I didn't want any management restrictions. Sometimes you're out selling a management policy that's not going to fly. Um, and basically, I wanted to run the show. And um, I took a look at a number of, of careers and real estate just checked all the boxes for me. Yeah, certainly. I mean, all those reasons you mentioned are similar to why a lot of people get into the business. But um, what more of a compelling reason than 
missing your son's first steps and really wanting to be there for them as, as a father and be a part of their life. I, that's awesome. I love that story. You have really become a local expert in your marketplace and have found a way to do business all within walking distance pretty much of where you live and to do it at such a high level that it can sustain your whole um, family. Could you just tell us a little bit about, um, about how you got started and if it was a conscious decision to become an expert in just one specific neighborhood or just a couple of neighborhoods right around where you live? Um, it, it, the decision evolved. When I, when I first got into the business my first year, um, I did everything that I could uh, just to get experience. And at the end of the year, I, I sat back and I evaluated and I realized that I, I, I wasn't going to be able to make a living uh, selling $250,000 condos and still have a life if I was driving all over the city. So I decided I needed to get into the luxury market and I started doing open houses, um, actually for Jenny Ames when I was with Coldwell Banker in Lincoln Park and my business just grew from there. So you started with open houses and, and with that focus on wanting to be a luxury agent. Yes. Now, you know, one of the barriers is, is when you're, when you're talking about $2 million homes and you've been in the business for a year, you've got some pretty stiff competition from other agents. So, um, you know, you, you have to be able to answer a lot of questions before you go out and do that. One of the questions is, well, why would I, why would I pick you? And, and how as, did you answer that question? Yeah, I was, I was going to ask the same. Well, that's how, that's how the data and the information thing came about. Um, I had a very, very strong background in sales. I had been in corporate sales for 34 years. Um, so I was pretty good at selling. Right. Um, but I also know that uh, you have to know what's going on. And I think that... Um, uh, when I got into real estate, um, I noticed that, you know, there was a lot of people, you know, doing the surface work, but nobody was really, I shouldn't say nobody, there weren't as many people that were really digging, digging in and, and seeing what was actually happening. And so I was, I started, uh, back then blogging was very big and I started doing a, a blog and running numbers and finding out what was going on so that when I met people at open houses, I had talking points that other people didn't have. Right. And, um, it really, you know, I was really able to convey what was going on in that particular market with that particular property type and it worked. Yeah, consumers want to know that they can trust their agent on a lot of different levels, but certainly an important piece of that, and one that's a recurring theme in all of your testimonials, is just you being the not like the true knowledge broker and and having that information, which gives them a level of comfort that you do in fact understand the market. What um, when you first decided to dig into the data, was it just really to kind of learn something for yourself or was it for this platform for the blog and were there any other um, ideas that you had in terms of how you wanted to kind of disseminate that information? It really was to distinguish me from other brokers. Um, 
uh, just just to so that I could, being that I was a relatively new agent, I could sit down and have a conversation with someone and give them details of the market that probably most brokers wouldn't be able to do. And I think that, you know, it's, no matter what you're selling, um, it's what do you, you know, what do you bring to the party that somebody else doesn't, whether you're selling a a product or a service, um, you know, you've, you've, you've got to be knowledgeable in your market, in your product. Um, That doesn't change from, it doesn't change from, from field to field. I mean, sales are sales and, and you really, the most, the more knowledgeable people are, are the most successful ones. So, yeah. And it's definitely about what you bring to the party, but it's also how you communicate it. How do you communicate this data, like this real estate data to a layman that like makes them understand and makes them interested? Um, I think that, I, I think that that is, um, I think the easiest way to do that is to actually understand the data yourself. I think sure. a lot of times people people use data just to um, get from point A to point B um, and to prove a point. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that if you truly understand the data, I think if you work with it on a regular basis rather than just use it as a tool, um, I can, when I sit down with my clients, not everybody is analytical. And I can see when I sit down with my clients that, that sometimes people, you know, aren't, they're not numbers people. So by understanding the numbers myself, I can present what is significant and what is important and discard the things that I know that they're not going to be interested in and still get my, still get my point across. Right. That makes sense. But again, you have to be comfortable working with the numbers and you got to do it on a regular basis. Yeah. And I totally agree. Cause like, to me, data can seem overwhelming. Like I don't even, I wouldn't even know where to start. So it's really familiarizing yourself, I guess, again, with what you're selling, you have to know your product, mm-hmm. be knowledgeable about it. And then you can kind of just talk about it without it coming across as contrived or forced. Well, one of the things when you're talking about analysis in almost anything, mm-hmm. the first question that you have to ask yourself is what are you trying to find out? I mean, there's so many, there's so many numbers. There's so many ways you can analyze things. Like, what do you, what, what point are you trying to make? And then once you establish that, then you can go back and say, okay, well, what are the components that I need in order to make this point? You don't have to, you don't have to always throw every number at everybody. Right. It depends on what, what particular point you're trying to make in what particular meeting. For sure. Um, so that's how you started out your business with open houses. How long have you been doing real estate now? Uh, 13 years, I think. 13 years. Yeah, 13 years or 113 years. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure which. It's hard to tell. Yeah, it, it, time goes by quickly. <laughs> um, how has your business changed and evolved? Because you started out, you made yourself the local expert right off the bat, right? Like you forced yourself to be that guy where are you now? Like what's going, how, how has that evolved? Well, I, I, I think the local expert thing is a little bit exaggerated. Yeah. I mean, I do work more than, more than one neighborhood. Um, 
I, I, there is obviously the big joke around the office that if I can't walk to my listings, I won't take them, which isn't entirely true. Um, I basically, I basically do most of my business in three or four neighborhoods um, that, that I know really, really well, um, particularly Lincoln Park. And if I'm doing, I mean, I'll work all over the city, but if I'm going, like I recently had a client in, uh, that, that was looking to buy in the West Loop. And so when, when I'm in that situation, in order to provide my client with that same level of expertise, mm -hmm. I'll partner up with, uh, with a coworker of mine that knows that area. And, I, and in that particular case, um, I partnered up with somebody that knew the West Loop very well, and together we were able to get him exactly what he needed. Right. I think that says a lot about you, though, putting your client in their best interests first and you know, being willing to partner up and reach out to other people to assist you to give them the best service possible. Well, my, my business is all based on client referral. So um, to a certain extent, it's selfishness. Um, I... I'm not only interested in my client's business, I'm interested in getting my client's friends and family business. Sure. Um, and in order to do that, you, you, it, it's not about getting the check at closing. It's about making sure that, that you have done everything that you can to get that client the best deal for that for, for their situation. And um, if you do that, then you're going to end up getting those referrals. And that's kind of what it's all about from my type of business. You know, there, there's 11, I think there's 11 or 12,000 brokers serving the Chicago area and everyone does their business differently. Yeah. Um, and there's no right way to do it. And there's no wrong way to do it. Uh, it's what works best for you. Um, and I've kind of carved out this niche for me, uh, and it's, it's worked pretty well, you know, but like everything else, it has, it has pros and it has cons. Um, what are some of the pros and cons? <laughs> well, the pros are, so I walk, walk everywhere and especially when my <laughs> wife won't give me the car, um, the, the, the cons are, um, uh, that, you know, I probably do, I mean, we have, we have agents in our office that I, I think one year Courtney Walsh did 65 transactions. Um, I average between 12 and 14 transactions a year. Um, and I think last year, my average, my average sale was about a million dollars, which everybody says, boy, I'd love to do that. That's terrific. Uh, well, yeah, but one of the cons is that each one of those transactions is life and death. If I lose one of those transactions, I take a big hit. And so, uh, you know, if you're, if you're averaging, um, if you're doing 25 transactions a year and you lose one, that's not, you know, it's no big deal. If I lose one, it's a, it's a very big deal. It's monumental. Mm -hmm. I guess though that also, I mean, not that every agent doesn't give equal work to their listings, but it also makes sure that you're giving the, your utmost time and, and attention to each of these, these people, which also goes back into make, doing, you know, client referrals. You're giving them such good care because you need to, they're going to tell their friends about it. 
Absolutely. That it's, it's what it's all about. And um, yes, there are people that do much lower price points and much bigger volumes that give their clients equally good care. Um, but I've chosen to, you know, I've chosen to live in a smaller world and, um, and, and I try to keep it in specific price points. I don't always, uh, you know, I, I've, I've, I, 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 I don't like to, you know, say that I'm some sort of snob that won't do, you know, more <laughs> and I do. Um, but my business plan is really based on, on, you know, 12 to 14 transactions a year and based on an average, a, a certain average price. Yeah, and was that intentional to, to structure it that way or did it kind of just evolve that way over time? Yeah. I mean, when I first started, I was, I was, uh, the, it was in the first incarnation of the South Loop. And um, I was doing a lot of business in the South Loop in my first year. And it took me, um, you know, 25 minutes to get down there. Um, then I do the showing and then 25 minutes to get home. And, you know, sometimes I was doing that two or three times a day. And so, you know, when you, um, when, when you add up all of that travel time, um, it's taking away from other things that you can be doing in your business. Right. And so I made the conscious decision that I really wanted to try to be an expert in a smaller area so that my travel times weren't that, weren't that great. And I'm also by being, by being very knowledgeable in, in, in four primary neighborhoods, I'm offering more value to my, to my clients. Right. You know, you can't possibly, there's 77 community areas in the city of Chicago. Um, you can't be an expert in all of them. Um, and so, you know, if you want to be in a, in a higher price point business, you know, Lincoln Park's a pretty good place to start. That is certainly true. And if I recall from our um, office sales awards earlier this year, you not only have like one of the highest average sales price in the company, but I, I believe our managing broker had mentioned possibly even citywide, <laughs> which is a very efficient way to run your business, John. Yeah, it, it, it is. But again, you know, it's, um, it's, uh, it, it does, it does have its perils too. And um, it's, it's, there's no, one thing about this, this business, I mean, whether you have a, a million dollar average price point or 250,000 or, or, or two and a half million, none of it's easy, you know, and, 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 and sometimes, you know, clients at different price points um, have different needs. Um, they, they, they react differently to different things. And sometimes some of them are more diffi difficult than others. So um, there's no there's no panacea in this. It's, it's everyone, everyone's business. It's a, it's a difficult business. It's a great business, but it's a difficult business. Yeah, it certainly is. It's, it doesn't just, you don't get to the level where you're at overnight. It takes a lot of relationship building, a lot of hard work um, and being creative too, with how you continue to connect with people. One of the things that John G and I were talking about before, uh, we talked to you was your website, which is phenomenal. And the market reports you put together, um, just be curious to learn a little bit more about how that came about and what that's done for your business. Um, back when I, back when I started in 2007, like 
uh, blogging was the thing. I, right. I, I, I remember my managing broker at the time saying, if you're not blogging, you know, you, 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 you know, you're not going to, you're not going to do any business. And um, uh, so I started blogging, but I didn't want to just, I mean, everybody was sending out these blogs about, you know, you know, I, I, uh, you know, I just had a ham sandwich and I just want to <laughs> let you know that. Um, and, and again, when I, when I, when I got into the business, I wanted to bring, I wanted it to be business. I, I didn't want it to be, um, uh, you know, junk. fluffy. Um, yeah. I want, I, you know, I had a, I had a real strong business background and I wanted to bring that to the real estate business. And I wanted my clients to be people that, that, that understood and appreciated the business side of this. Um, I'll tell you a short story because I, I don't want to run off at the mouth, but there was a time when my wife and I were going to, before I was in real estate, there was a, a, a time when my wife and I were thinking about selling our home. And so we had two agents come in and, and do a walkthrough with us. And, you know, and I remember one of them was Joanne Nimrovsky. And I don't remember who the other one was, but she was a Baird and Warner agent. And I was so impressed with the professionalism of Joanne. Um, and then the other woman came in, it was just, you know, it, it just wasn't very professional. And I said, I really think that there is a place for real business to business, um, business to business attitude um, in the real estate business. And that's what I've tried to bring all along. So when I did my blog, um, it was all informational. I, give, I know we hear this all the time in our, in our industry, but it was giving my clients something of value, not just regurgitating, you know, uh, what the, a car report or a NAR report or, or something like that. It was something that I've done, I've done myself. Well, I think that's a good point too, John, because you can easily, you know, and now with everything being on social media, take an image that's yeah. an InfoSparks graph or just take the car report and repost it. But that doesn't really explain the story behind no. the numbers. Whereas you take it one step further and explain the story and help people understand here are the numbers, but this is what it means for you. Well, also car and R are, are there to, to, you know, they're, they're kind of somewhat propaganda machines. They're, they're there to tell everybody how great the market is. I remember in, in 2008 and 2009, you know, every week they, 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 were, they were bringing reports out about talking about how the markets rebound. Well, no, it wasn't. And <laughs> NAR, um, NAR the, the federal government made them revise two of their forecasts. Oh, wow. Because they were they they were just wrong, and during that time period, and so you know my numbers. I'm not saying that I, I'm not saying that my forecasts are always correct, but my numbers. I pull the numbers myself every month, mm -hmm. um, and they're real numbers from the MLS, and they're not really agenda driven. If you know, there's been times when when my coworkers have come to me and say, "Well, that was an uplifting report." <laughs> very facetious and I said well that's what's happening in the market you know and I in, in a few months you're going to see that you know things aren't going so well um, yeah. so I you know I really try to tell it like it is because 
that's going to affect, you know, my client's profitability one way or another. So how do you do that while still keeping it positive or bringing hope to your clients? Well, it, it's, it's, it's really not about that. It's about telling your, it's about telling your clients what's actually happening out there. And, you know, unfortunately in our business, um, everybody's, everybody's trying to paint such a rosy picture so that they can get the listing or they can get the, the buyer that, and then when you get into the actual listing itself um, and, and your clients see that, well, no, that wasn't the way that it was, then yeah. they, they get really angry. So I want you to know, you know, I want my clients to know up front exactly what's happening that, that, that you know, this is, this is, uh, when times are good, I'm going to tell you times are good. When there's when there's positive opportunities, I'm going to tell you there's positive opportunities. But you know, if we're if we're facing if we're facing something difficult, you need that you need to know that up front. And you know, yeah. if if somebody tells you that that's not the case, and you believe them, and they can they can back it up with numbers, then you know maybe you better go down that road. Yeah, it doesn't serve your clients well to, you know, paint that rosy picture, as you put it, and kind of deny what the market's actually telling you is happening. Well, without, without Baird and Warner getting mad at me, um, they, they, they have a, which they usually are. Um, uh, <laughs> I'm already loving where this is going. <laughs> they used to have, and I think they have a new version of it, but they used to have the... Uh, the thing where you could show your clients how many people are interested in, in your property. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I remember one time running that report for a client of mine and there were like 2000 people that were interested in this property. And, you know, I, I hesitate to show something like that because after you get the listing agreement, nobody shows up. The first thing those clients are going to ask is what, what happened to those 2000 people? You know, so I want to make sure that the information that I give my clients is accurate um, and, 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 and that it's not going to come back and bite me in the, bite me in the butt. That's fair. That's fair. You're building that relationship with their client and that trust is based on your honesty and that open communication. Well, the bottom line is this, you know, I, when I sit down, particularly for a listening presentation, um, I'm, I'm taking responsibility for selling this home. Um, and I'm responsible for it. So if, if you know, if I'm blowing a lot of smoke, uh, it, it's, it's not going, it's not to my benefit down the road to do that. Right. Um, and, and, and so I think that, that particularly in a, in a, in a business where we don't always have the greatest reputation in the world, I think that it's, it's more important than ever to really sit down and be very, very honest with your, with your clients or your potential clients. And I, 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 I think they appreciate it. You're not going to get them all. Um, you're going to lose some of them because they're going to listen to somebody that, you know, there were people in 2008 that were telling that, telling their clients, you know, oh, we can sell your home in, in no time. Everything's turning around. Well, no, it wasn't, you know, so, but, you know, I, I don't want to, you know, I don't necessarily want to work with somebody like that anyway, because it's just, I'm not going to be able to sell their property. Yeah. And what I'm getting from this is like any real estate agent can get a listing. If you say the right things, if you tell people what you want to hear, you can get that listing. But to like cultivate a business where people are going to return 
and trust you and you're going to earn people's trust, you need to be, be truthful and tell them what, what's actually happening, even if it's inconvenient short term. Well, that, that's, that's my philosophy. But like I said, yeah. there's, there's um, right. 10,999 other philosophies and, and, you know, there's a whole lot of successful people out there. Mine there's, is just, mine's one story. Right. There's, yeah, there certainly are. But I, I would, you know, choose to support, you know, your business, which is based on integrity. And that's why everybody that you work with. Yeah. Is professional. I think there's wisdom there. Lots of wisdom there. Somewhere, somewhere in there. <laughs> um, John, I'm, I'm kind of curious, like how the business has changed, like not how you've changed your business and your strategies, but how you've seen the business change around you, not just including yeah. these past three you know, pandemic months, but just over the course of the last 13 years. Um, I, I think that, um, I think you can look at it in two ways. First of all, uh, the, the, the business itself, like the broker business, obviously technology and social media um, yeah. have taken off during that time period and it, it's had a, a profound effect. Um, but I think that the basics of sales never change. They're all always the same. And um, I think that you have to understand the technology. I think you have to understand social media. Um, I think that some of it is very useful. I think some of it is smoke and mirrors. Um, but I think that's the major change. I think that the basics of sales never really always be the same. And um, as far as what's going on in the market right now, um, again, you always have to look at that in, you know, how have things changed? Well, um, you know, in, in, in those 13 years, we've seen um, markets evolve just, just overnight. I, I mean, there was a time when, you know, not that long ago when you, I'd ask clients, well, have you looked in Roscoe Village? And they'd say, well, where's Roscoe Village? You know, <laughs> and you take a look at the Southport Carter, uh, the growth of the Southport Carter. You take a look at, um, at North, all of North Center. And now you take a look at Old Irving. Yes, I do go that far. Uh, <laughs> you take a look at the growth of Old Irving and it's just phenomenal. And, and um, uh, you know, uh, Places like the West Loop have just have just gone nuts. I think probably one of the biggest changes, though, is that um, is the rise of luxury rentals and how that has dramatically changed um, the first uh, first time home buyer business. Um, uh, you know, we we've uh, up until this year. You know, you're looking at up to 7,000 new luxury rentals every year go online. And that's, that really, if you took a look at the, the bottom, the, the lower end price points where first time home buyers are, that business has really, has really tanked. Since COVID, it's, it's come back around and it's really hot right now. But I, I think, you know, Chicago traditionally was not a great rental city. Most of the rentals were old and, and, and kind of nasty. And that's not the case anymore. There's some great rentals there. And I think that, you know, um, with some of the millennial thinking about owning homes, um, I, I think that's changed dramatically also. Yeah, I would tend to agree with you. I have a handful of clients that 
opted rather than purchasing a home to try out one of these full amenity buildings for a year or two just to have that experience and even though they could afford it you know postponing that purchase of their first home yeah it, it's interesting that you know when i first got in the business bucktown and wicker park was like the coolest areas that you could work that you could live in and now all of a sudden they're becoming like more family oriented and you know they're still great places to live but they're not you know they're not the cutting it they're, they're not like the west loop is now and and they've become much more mainstream than 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 they used to be yeah that was actually i used to i was living in ukrainian village at the time you got started in the business and we would always go to wicker park bucktown to hang out it was the cool spot mm -hmm. that's so that's actually really interesting to to think about how the city has evolved and will continue to evolve i i, I think that what one of the things that you're going to see is um with the lincoln yards project and the development of the chicago river i think you're going to see that totally transform the city of chicago and move the emphasis away from the lakefront and onto the river. Mm -hmm. uh, I think you're going to be able to. I think you're going to be able to bike from um, uh, from North Center all the way into town. I think there's going to be retail and restaurants on the river, and I think you're going to be able to get in your boat and go out to dinner, uh, tie up at a restaurant, go out to dinner, and take your boat out for a little cruise on the lake, and then and then go back home. And I think it's just going to be, I, I think, give it 10 years. Um, I, I think you're really going to see the focus shift away from the lakefront and onto the river. That sounds delightful, actually. I'd love to get in a boat that I own and drive <laughs> boat up to a restaurant and tie up and then just boat back home. Oh, I think you're going to, I think. I think you're going to see that. Um, I think you're going to be able to do it on bicycles, you know, go all the way down, go all the way downtown. Um, That's going to be great for your business. You don't have to drive anywhere. Well, it's really yeah. going to expand your influence. Yeah. <laughs> John, what if your business becomes all boat driven and you just <laughs> boat and you go up and down the river? Well, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a proficient with the boat, so I can, I can do that. You always wear a captain's hat as part of your gimmick. I'm going to have one of those Baird and Warner uh, captain's hats. I just hope they're 40% they're off. Um, I have what's probably a very unfair question to ask because it requires you to dig out your crystal ball. Okay. Um, but I know one question that I've been getting from uh, some clients right now, they're thinking about like, is now really a good time to sell or would next year be better? Have you put any thought into like looking ahead you know, what we may expect. And again, I realize it's a very unfair prediction to ask you to make. Um, I'll answer this and not answer this. Um, sure. I always say it, it really depends. You have to look at it in, in a micro way. Mm -hmm. It depends on the neighborhood and the property type um, and, the, and the price point. Um, I think if let's, let's take Lincoln Park. Um, I think that probably for the luxury business, I think you're going to probably see um, a certain percentage of people that were would be buying their forever home. I think you're probably going to see um, some of those people move out to the suburbs. Um, in addition to the fact that I think being able to work from home, um, since we've seen that with the pandemic, will also 
make some people move out to the suburbs, being that they don't have to commute every day. But I think that um, with the threat of rising taxes, I, I mean, you know, property taxes are going to have to go up. I think there's uh, perceptions of rising crime. I think for the luxury market, I think that they that may be impacted. So to answer your question, if I was in the luxury market, um, I, I think you have to see how all of this unfolds. Right now, that business is not is not particularly it's not as strong as the lower price points. Um, I think that uh, the older the older demographic buyers are not coming out um, because of their fear of, of COVID. And I think it's gonna take them a little longer to come out. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not seeing, you know, at my, my open houses for my luxury properties, I'm seeing a lot of young people, but I'm not seeing older people. And I also have a listing um, in a, um, at 680 Lakeshore Drive, which is traditionally a, an older demographic building and just that, that nothing's moving there. However, in lower price points, the business is, is very good. So I think it really depends on the neighborhood. I think it depends on the price point. I think it depends on the property type as to whether you should sell now. I think if you're in a lower price point, yeah, get it on the market right now. I think if you're in a luxury one, uh, I, I, think, I, I think you have to look a little harder as to, um, as to whether, the time, whether the time is right now. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely when you look at the data, you have to get hyper local with that. All the more reason why a consumer needs a real estate agent who understands how to interpret it. And again, there's so many things that have to be considered that we don't know the answer to yet. We don't know, um, is there going to be a, another rise in COVID? You know, right. is there going to be another lockdown? Uh, we don't know, you know, that, the, the state, federal, and even local governments have given have been giving money away, you know, like they actually have it, and you know that bill is going to come due. And uh, we had, you know, we had state and local financial problems long before this ever happened, severe problems. And when you add on to that, um, it will be very interesting to see the way the city and the state and the federal government decides to handle this when the bill comes due. Remember, this is an election year. Nobody's paying any attention to the bills. But right. come January, um, it's gonna be a very, very different story. So I, you know, I'm, not, I, I, I'm, I'm an optimist about, about Chicago real estate, but I'm also a realist that, that we have to find out, okay, well, how, how are we gonna solve these problems? Very so true. how are we gonna solve them? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. I they're they're way over oh they're way over my head. And I thought my question was unfair. <laughs> I have one more question for you, and then John G has some heavy hitters uh, that okay. we end every episode with. Um, um, I got my seatbelt fastened, so I'm I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> well, mine is kind of another prediction question, and I know we talked about this a little bit before we started the episode. Um, but in terms of there being such low inventory right now, do you anticipate that we'll see some more listings in the coming months hitting the market to kind of help ease some of that buyer demand? I think I think that you're going to see a flood of inventory. And I, I, I think what's going to happen is as, again, assuming that there's not um, a relapse of COVID and a relapse of lockdowns, if we move forward, 
um, I think you're going to see pretty much a flood of inventory. Remember, nobody's going on vacation this year. So normally in July and August, when everybody's out of town, um, it's usually very slow. That's not going to happen this year. Everybody's going to be here. Um, as I think I mentioned to you earlier, um, if you try to get a contractor to come work in your home, you're going to have a very hard time because they are swamped. And yeah. to me, that's telling me that people are getting ready to sell their homes. I look for, I think July will probably still be low. I look for the middle of August. I think in September is when you're going to see um, the market has caught up. You know, we're, we're now one of the things that most people don't understand is that in 2018 and 2019, we experienced 24 consecutive months of sales decreases. And then in December, January, and February, the market just took off. Huh. I, I mean, it was, I, when I ran my December numbers, I, I, I went into David's office and I go, something's wrong here. <laughs> um, but no, it was just, it was amazing. And so I think that the demand is there. Uh, on both the buy side and the sell side, I think everything was just delayed by three or four months. And I think there's a possibility. You know, I'm not, you know, I, I, it may not happen because um, there are a lot of variables. But I think that there's a possibility that you're going to see a pretty good hit of inventory by September. I sure hope you're right. I know there's a lot of buyers out there looking for homes. Um, but if I'm going to trust anybody on the data, that's going to be you, certainly. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah, that's actually great to know because I may be, I may be buying by then. So I know a great broker if you need one. I know like a hundred great brokers. So <laughs> get in line. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> okay. Are you ready for the heavy hitters? I am ready. Okay. The first one, what's your favorite color? Blue. Blue. Okay. That's a, that's, I'm not going to lie. That's a standard answer. That's a standard realtor answer we get, but that's also my favorite color. So don't feel too bad. I mean, okay. standard, standard just makes it sound generic. That is the most popular choice. by far. I, I should have worded that better. Yeah. Um, second heavy hitter question. What's your deepest, darkest fear? Oh, Oh. Answer however you want. My deepest, darkest fear. So for me, I could either say wet wipes, which is valid, or I could say dying, which is also valid. No, um, I think probably um, getting into a, having to deal with a very difficult transaction with Nagin. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Or like um, hosting a bachelorette party for her and she just hates it. Like yeah. she doesn't have a good yeah. time. Yeah. This, this turned very fast. Very I thought we were all friends here. <laughs> yeah. John, I, I try to make every transaction a joy, but trust from now on, if you and I are ever at opposite ends of the table, I'm going to make it very difficult for you. <laughs> you know what? Everyone take, every transaction takes on a life of its own. You know, all the players are different. You never know. You know, it's like you're responsible for it, but you don't always control it. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> I would actually love, I would love like a TV show, like court style drama, but it's just between like two real estate agents, like battling it out. That sounds great. I think in That's those big, in, in those big 
blow up sumo suits. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, I like that. I like that. Um, it would be it would be an honor to do a deal with you. We've not, I've never had the pleasure, but I can only imagine I would learn a lot from that process. As well. I think in this office, I've only I've done I've done a couple deals with Jackie, and she's really really tough. Yeah, she, I, I think I think I think Jackie's probably one of the best realtors that I've ever met. But when you get in a deal with her, she's tough. And I've done a couple deals with Millie. And I don't know whether I've ever done, I don't do a lot of deals with, with that many people in the office. I think it's luck of the draw, right? <laughs> you never know who's going to have the buyer for your property or well, vice versa. Or, 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 or maybe people just don't want to do deals with me and they're steering <laughs> what? I have heard people say that. I wouldn't surprise <laughs> me. It wouldn't surprise me at all. They just filter all of John Irwin's listings out when they're running a search for their buyer. Wouldn't buyers. surprise me at all. <laughs> yeah. I may have heard that that's a thing. Um, John, thank you, thank you, thank you. Can't yeah, thank you enough. Really this was, was so, so educational and just really appreciate your, you know, candidness and sharing and opening about your process and how you built your business and uh, your predictions a little bit and sharing on, on what's we'll happening in the market. See what happens. We'll see. Um, you do have a phenomenal market update that you send out mm -hmm. um, that, people can register for like what are the ways that they can get added to your list um just go on to my website and uh, uh, it's johnerwinchicago.com and you can subscribe or just um give me a call and i'll get your information and 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 put you on and is that the best way for someone to reach you or do you have like social media or an email address that you would prefer people contact you through uh john at johnerwinchicago.com Awesome. And we'll share all of your contact information in the show notes as well. Great. Thank you so much, John. We really Thank you. It. Thank you for the opportunity. Of course. Have we'll a great have day, everyone. For another update in a few months. Okay. Okay. I'll see you at the bachelorette party. <laughs> That's never happening. Thanks to God. Oh, it's going to happen. It's coming. You it's coming. Win. We'll do it over Zoom. Soon. Oh. <laughs> all right. Thanks, you guys. Thank Bye. you. Bye.